This is The Waycast. This is a special edition of The Waycast because we have our first guest, um, Mr. Jason Slanga. Hello. We're both here in Santa Fe right now. I'm here for an artist residency and you live in Albuquerque. I live in Albuquerque now, yes. But you're also on your way back from a language retreat. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it is called Biduum Latino, which basically means a Latin weekend. Um, and we started those a few years ago uh, out in West Virginia, you know, which is sort of our our kind of informal headquarters um, for Salvi, which is the Septentrionalis uh, Americae Latinitatis Vivae Institutum, or the North American Institute for Living Latin Studies. And so we, we do Latin immersion events, um, starting off, you know, with a week-long event over the summer, which has now grown to three separate week-long programs. And a few years ago, we expanded to start offering a weekend mid-year so that teachers could come, you know, get their Latin immersion fix if they needed that, but also to provide a low barrier to entry for teachers who were curious about doing spoken Latin, not just teachers, but, but students and other Latin enthusiasts who were curious about spoken Latin but perhaps didn't have the the money or the time to invest or the the gumption the the uh, the guts or the confidence to jump into a full week and so we started offering a weekend in West Virginia and what it has now grown into is franchise weekends throughout the country usually in either the fall or late winter early spring even when we were talking earlier and you told me like everything that was going on you know I just couldn't help but think back to when I first met you at Rusticaccio in 2014 or 2015. Something thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, and like just um, seeing what the Latin community was doing with Warrior Keys was really interesting because Salvi had brought Evan out to do a workshop at Rusticaccio for mm-hmm. a week. Yep. For pedagogy, for pedagogy Rusticaccio. Yeah. And then I stayed on with Evan for the following week of actual Rusticaccio, which was the week-long immersion in Latin. In Latin. Yeah. And I don't know, I just thought that was really fascinating too. Like, I mean, with the work that I do with language vitalization for Native communities, um, you know, it's just like embarking on a journey to try and learn and, and preserve one's heritage language. Right. And in some ways, Latin is a similar thing for, you know... In the Western culture. Western, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Europe and, and uh-huh. the Americas and you even, you know, put Australia in that. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's it's a less personal, less intimate sort of heritage, but yeah, you're looking at preserving the the uh, intellectual, the, the academic heritage of the West that's in Latin. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just like like I mean, there's all these different aspects to why people are learning this. Whether they're they're teachers at a high school, it's it's a it's a passion project or they're part of the church mm-hmm. but the thing that i thought was really engaging or just really endearing and what i felt similar to the language work that i've been doing like with in native communities is just the community itself you know like where it promotes visiting and chatting and people having conversations about nothing or telling jokes yeah and i think that um especially in the United States, and I think this is less the case in Europe, um, language learning and language acquisition carries a lot of baggage 
um, a lot of people, not just in Latin, but in any language, remember, you know, I took Spanish in high school, I took French in high school, um, and it wasn't an experience that really connected with them. It was something that was hard um, and, and something that seems impossible, you know, and, and I always tell people, you know, you go to you go to Europe and there are these guys selling stuff on the side of the street and they speak five different languages, maybe not at the advanced level, but enough that they can make a living doing it. And, and these are people who, who have not had the benefit of the privilege that, that so many people in the United States have had uh, academically. And so when you're talking about community, I mean, that's, that's, that's why we have language in the first place is community and you know language builds community and community builds language um and if you can provide a space for people to forget that they're learning to have fun and be okay with making mistakes and, and learning from one another i think that it really changes the approach and, and changes the the relationship people have with language especially like, like the main draw and also like you know the main topic of this podcast being where are your keys i mean i found that's you know, with my own personal experience that this method in particular promotes that and mm-hmm. it was I mean it wasn't a surprise it was just like a huh you know when Evan told me about the yeah the Rusticaccio thing I was like well yeah of course makes total sense mm-hmm. I mean like what drew you to this methodology as opposed to I mean the traditional form of classroom teaching because at the time I believe you were a high school teacher in Baltimore yeah I was in Baltimore County yeah so I attended my first Rusticatio with Salvi in 2007. Uh, and two years later, I found myself actually on staff uh, here. And, um, you know, when I was in college, I had the experience of taking a Spanish class. I took Spanish for three semesters. Uh, when I got to my fourth semester, and this is while I was also studying Latin. Um, when I got to my fourth semester of Spanish, suddenly the class was conducted entirely in Spanish when that had not been the case in the three semesters building up to that. And so I, I said to myself, that, you know, there's something of a disconnect here. There's got to be a better way to do this. You know, if you if you want to speak Spanish in and, and the fourth semester, you have to start doing that in the first semester. And then, you know, translating that into, or not translating, rather, and bringing that over into Latin, um, you know, there's... Latin itself, in particular, has a lot of baggage. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be something that only the smart kids are able to do. And you know, and as as Reginald Foster, somebody who's very well known in the Latin world, likes to say, you know, prostitutes and slaves spoke Latin. There's no reason that that you can't as well. And and uh, you know, when you're looking to create an equitable classroom, you know, that need, that all kids can be successful in, you have to provide a space that is safe, that is fun, that is engaging, um, and that reaches kids in a way that that sort of the, the quote-unquote traditional method just doesn't offer. And so the idea of um, student-directed learning, you know, where the the learner is the one kind of picking where you go and having them give you feedback on what they understand and they don't understand, I think is it's, it's a new concept, not just for teachers, but also for students who have sort of grown up in this, this testing culture that we've created for them. Um, so bringing that in the, into the, the high school setting was, has been 
really exciting in a lot of ways, but also really challenging because it's a big, big paradigm shift for a lot of people. What are some of the tools and tricks or, you know, like where your keys or not where your keys or any sort of like, you know, pedagogy that you've encountered that have helped with that transition or just reshifting that perspective or just like how you engage with students or? Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of it has to do not as much with the nuts and bolts of the techniques as much as with the spirit of the techniques, meaning that convincing kids, convincing students, learners, that they're the ones in charge of their learning, right? When I, I say to a class for the first time, you know, let's do a plus delta, right? You tell me the things that you liked about class and you tell me the things that I could do differently that would, or, or not even that I can do differently as a teacher, but things that could be different in the class that would help you to learn better or make you feel better about the class. I've had classes light up when they hear that because they're excited to have input, but I've also had students be very resistant to that idea because they don't understand that that they have an active role in in the class and what they're learning. So something like a plus delta is, is a big thing, big change to the classroom from what I was doing before because it's a way to explicitly give students control of the class in a structured and positive way. You said something last night that has stuck with me. I'm probably going to misquote you, but students had students have had good teaching taught out of them or yeah, they've had good learning sort of trained out of them. Right. Yeah. Um, where they've been taught um you know, and I don't know that this is, I don't think it's the fault of the teachers. I tend to, having been a teacher myself, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, there's been, it's all over the news and in every article you read on Slate or Huffington Post or MSNBC or, you know, whatever website you want to think of, um, you know, this standardized testing culture that we live in, students aren't used to having input. And sometimes by the time they get to high school, when you start offering them the opportunity to give you input, they're not all that interested. And they just say, just, just tell me what I need to know for the test. Um, and sometimes you get a class of students who, who, like I said, are very excited by the opportunity and they really buy into your class because that's the one place during their school day where they actually get a say and they get to determine what we're going to do day to day in the class. Not that they have carte blanche to do anything, but, but that their input is just as valid as mine as the teachers. One thing, I mean, even thinking about, well, I mean, like I've, yeah, I've known you for four years, but this is the first time we've seen each other in a few years. Yeah. But I mean, when we saw each other the other night, we just like dove right back into Latin. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remembered so many things that I've forgotten. <laughs> well, and that was the same with me when we were doing Chinook mm-hmm. over dinner. was that I hadn't spoken Chinook in mm-hmm. years because I didn't have anybody to speak with. But but suddenly these words, once I did the setups, I knew what the setups were to get the words that I had known before. And, and it all come racing right back. Yeah. And I think I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but. I'm still like trying to think about how to talk about this idea where there is by no means a where are your keys acolyte, you know, where right. 
it's just like everyone's pulling from all these different resources. Yeah. And you seem to do that particularly well, especially just seeing what you've been doing with Latin, with your podcast, which we'll talk about later. I mean, like, can you talk more about your teaching practice too? I mean, like, do we just like dove into traditional, straightforward, where are your keys? How do you bridge that with other different settings, whether they're in a classroom, mm-hmm. in a language mm-hmm. circle, in a biduum, or in a presentation that you're giving? When I was very early on in my career, you know, I was at a, I was at a new teacher orientation and, um, I think the presenter was Harry Wong. He said, good teachers steal everything. Um, it's easy in the world of language learning and language teaching methodologies to get caught up, to get into these little, these camps, these sort of churches, if you will, of of different methodologies and I've always taken a much more pragmatic approach to you know whether it's where your keys whether it's TPRS whether it's the RACIUS method or or anything else um, that I see a presentation if there's something um, that I see that I think is going to empower students um, I'm going to use it in my teaching no matter where it comes from and and I don't you know I'm not as concerned with you know, am I strictly adhering to, you know, what is in the book for TPRS as, as much as I'm, this is something that I've done with my students that I've, I've learned and I've had a chance to experiment with and it's been effective. And I may play around with something and, and find that I need to change it either to suit myself or to suit a particular group. So it's, yeah, it's just been, you know, more than a decade of, you know, observing other teachers, going to conferences, doing workshops, working with people like you and Evan and, and, and having these kinds of conversations uh, about practice and, and then putting it to the test. There's been a lot of research on language, second language acquisition. And I think that's important because it gives us uh, a good foundation for, um, for what we do and a good understanding of why certain things work and why certain things don't. And I'm glad people are doing that research. I don't think I'm the one to do that kind of research. I, I find much more often that I'm into putting things to the test and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And like I said, giving students and learners a voice in that conversation. What, you, what did you think about what we just did? Was that helpful to you? Was it not? Could I tweak it a little bit? You know, A lot of times I'll take something from a presentation I've seen or a conversation that I've had and and say I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to I'm going to tweak it just a little bit and I'm going to make it a little bit better and you know I was very fortunate uh, early in my career to to find myself with a close colleague somebody who's almost like family now my, my friend Dawn we sort of had had this nice feedback loop where I would see her do something I would take it, I would make it a little bit better, and then I would bring it back to her. I'd say, look what I did with this thing. And then she would take what I brought back, and she would make it just a little bit better, and she'd bring it back to me. And, and over time, we were able to refine a lot of different you know, different activities or, or strategies in the classroom. Um, and that's what I've tried to do with, with people throughout, you know, in whatever context. You know, those conversations about pedagogy, about teaching, I mean, even, you know, with what... Um the Latinists said about Latin prostitutes and slaves speaking this language. Anyone can do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it isn't in this you know silver tower of just the privilege of the elite. Same mm-hmm. thing with teaching as well. No disrespect to to professional teachers, but 
we have the tools and everyone teaches and everyone should be able to teach and recognize that yeah. everyone has value in the information that they have to give to another person. Well, and I think this is this is one place where teaching language is challenging because other people don't understand it mm. in the same way that they understand, you know, how somebody teaching science or English or, you know, or history or math um, operates, which is that those are all content areas, whereas language is the vehicle by which we teach those subjects. It is, in many ways, sort of a subject unto itself. And it's not the sort of thing that can really be taught. And this, you know, go back, going back to the research, this is what the research is telling us. I can't download a language into your brain. I can just provide you the structure that allows your brain to organize the language automatically and start to put it together. Yeah, and it's such a personal thing too. Like mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, like the last person aside from like my, you know, high school Spanish teacher to teach me a language was my mother. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's you know, there's so. I mean, and also like the high school classroom setting is like the furthest thing removed from like a familial setting. Yeah, and and the language if if you are setting up that environment that I talked about, where students start to construct the language for themselves. It looks to the outsider like chaos if you're doing it right. And it's hard to put that next to. And I think, you know, not to be unfair to to these other subject areas, because I think teachers in every single subject are getting on board with this sort of student centered learning and and more inquiry driven and and, and these kinds of things. But, yeah, looking at a classroom where, where students are sort of picking and choosing what they want to do and. The teachers sort of sitting quietly while the students are interacting with one another, teaching one another. I know Evan told me one time the reason he said if he were to to name where are your keys today, he he would name it where is your cell phone, because it's the prop that everybody <laughs> has, right? Yeah. Um, but when I was first getting into where are your keys, my takeaway was the idea of giving students the keys and letting them drive the car with guidance, but putting them in control of the learning environment rather than I know what's best and I'm going to tell you what's best for you, which which just doesn't work. <laughs> Simply, yeah. I mean, how many how many people say, you know, I, I took Spanish in high school and I hated it, mm-hmm. you know? You've got to let the learners decide. Yeah, it's like, screw you, go. Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, yeah. I mean, like with these conversations too. I mean, like I think it's a good segue into your podcast with mm-hmm. Justin Bailey and who's the third person? Uh, Gus Grissom. Gus Grissom. Augustus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your um, Yason and Yason. Eustace and Eustace and Augustus. Tres amici. <laughs> yeah, three friends. Uh, yeah, I remember when it first came out, like two years ago. Yeah, almost two years. We are coming up on our hundredth episode pretty soon. Actually, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I listened to the first two. <laughs> yeah. And I could not understand a thing, but I thought it was a great a great thing to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Uh I mean this came about Justin and I when I was, you know, kinda had made the decision to transition out of the classroom. Uh Justin and I had sort of floated the idea of of doing a podcast and then nothing really came of it for a while. And then Gus sent me a message one day saying, you know, we really need a podcast and I was like, well, it's funny you say that because Justin and I had talked about that. And 
and the short version of the story is is that Gus gave us you know sort of the the accountability um, and and the push we needed to kind of get this thing off the ground you know um, that sort of we were talking earlier about sort of that hesitancy to start something you know whether it's a language mm-hmm. program or a podcast or anything like that and the idea of do now explain later um, and that's ultimately what it came down to with the podcast was um, let's just get this thing going let's get the three of us on microphones and speak entirely in Latin. and speak entirely in Latin and uh, and we'll figure it out from there you know he got somebody to help him Gus did got somebody to help him learn how to edit everything together so we'd have like a nice clean sounding product at the end you know i haven't listened to them in a while but you go back to those first episodes and it's it's uh it's some pretty awkward stuff um but uh but over time you know we we found the flow and the rhythm to it and 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 the feedback that we've gotten on it has just been i mean incredible um people like big fans like there was somebody it's almost this, this strange sort of celebrity we've acquired, which I don't think any of the three of us has sort of figured out how to process. <laughs> um, but the feedback's been really good. You know, people really enjoy listening to it. Um, we try to keep it at, you know, as much as we can, roughly the intermediate level um, so that we can reach, reach the, the widest group. Um, you know, people tell us they, they like it when they get the joke. You know, they hear us laughing and they laugh at the same time and they, they get a little sense of pride. They say, oh, you know, I got the joke. Yeah, I understood it. <laughs> um, but it's been a lot of fun and got a lot, got some more things in the works, uh, hopefully soon. But yeah. what sort of things do you guys talk about on the podcast? Yeah. Like what, what's our subject? I mean, our, our tagline is, is also, yeah. What is the name of the podcast? So the, the name of the podcast is Cuomodo Dicator which in, in Latin means, you know, how do you say? So if I were to say, you know, Cuomodo Dicator coffee. You know, so, oh, cafe, you know. And our tagline is Colloquium Hebdomedale de Quolibet, which is a weekly conversation about anything. Um, and we, let's see, the last one we had, we, we were just talking about heroes, people's favorite heroes from, from modern fiction, whether that's superheroes or, or things like that. And, you know, we'll talk about baseball or or you know a, f- a letter that Pliny wrote or um, you know we'll read Stoic philosophy together or you know just it really is just about anything um, uh, as long as we can keep the conversation you know interesting and engaging and not get too far up in terms of proficiency that people can't follow you know we want to keep it accessible um, well, yeah. So, like, what sort of feedback do your viewers or your your listeners give you, and like, how do you respond to that feedback or to your audience base? It's been a lot of really, really good feedback. We get a lot of engagement on Facebook and Twitter. Justin tends to hang out on social media a little bit more, so he he's very good at interacting, answering questions, and things like that. Um, the most recent episode I talked about. Um, we actually, you, you accidentally said viewers, but sometimes we do have viewers because we'll occasionally record live on YouTube. And, and we had this last time people actually get on the chat and ask us questions in the chat that we discussed live on the episode that that's not going to be part of the episode. 
I, I think I lost your question. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, the feedback or interaction between yeah. your, your audience and the direction that the podcast can take. Or Yeah, I mean, we've gotten feedback one-on-one from people, you know, in terms of individual episodes. Like, yeah, this one you guys got a little bit too too far out there and in sort of philosophical discussion. And so um, we have found that, that people like it best when we keep it really light um, there's a lot of a lot of laughter sometimes too much laughter <laughs> we got to bring the conversation back mm-hmm. but I think that very there's something um, I think to the conversation format um, we talk a lot uh, about the rusticatio experience and the role that the porch plays in that experience mm-hmm. and so you know and you know of course you know when you're at rusticatio we, you know we have pretty structured days with with lots of time for breaks and leisure you know but we'll have you know sort of like full group kind of classroom sessions we'll have small group reading sessions and and things like that but you know one of the things that people comment most often is the time to just sit and be social with people in latin you know we hold it at this beautiful historic washington family home suburban slash rural West Virginia and so people just sit out on the porch during the summer you know have a beer have a glass of wine sit and tell stories multam in noctem way you know way into the middle of the night and we've tried to bring a piece of that into the podcast where it's not so serious you know we don't have a real agenda um, as much as you know a topic to start the discussion um, and I think that's what people really connect with on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's what I really appreciated about Ristacaccio was the porch or just like the dining room table, mm-hmm. you know, place, space to visit. And yeah. like any space to visit is a place for language to happen where it's not about the utility of the or it's not about the language, but rather the utility of the language to connect yeah. with another person. Well, and it's an environment where, you know, you're learning without trying you know, you, you're sitting and, have, mm-hmm. and having a conversation and somebody may use a phrase um, and you're not so worried about, you know, oh, I'm going to write that down in my notebook. You're just continuing with the conversation. And over time, if you hear that phrase over and over again, you know, your brain starts to incorporate that mm-hmm. into your understanding of the language, um, it, you know, in a way that's completely natural and long lasting, you know, that that you're going to take with you. You know, I find you know, if I take notes about language stuff, it's it doesn't stick with me. It's the language that I use um, that really wait, makes its way into my understanding of that language. Like, well, yeah. So, like, I mean, what's next for the podcast? I mean, if you can go into, um, yeah, I think you know we we've sort of started to get a little more focused in terms of having you know sort of sets of episodes. Um, you know, where, where we would talk. So I, I mentioned our heroes discussion. Well, that started with the discussion of, you know, our favorite hero from Greek and Roman mythology. You know, it's something that Latin teachers tend to talk about with their students a lot, you know, so this is a way to sort of reach that audience. Um, you know, or maybe we'll talk about like leisure and we'll have like three episodes on different sort of like things we like to do for leisure. Um, one of, you know, in addition just to the fact that we've kept it going this long and, and we've had such warm and, and really wonderful feedback from listeners is is the fact that it seems to have been a catalyst for Latin media in general. 
Um, there are more Latin language podcasts out there now than I'm even completely aware of. Um, and you could pick a different Latin language podcast to listen to every day of the week. Um, and, and that's a good thing. And, and each one of those podcasts uh, has their own take on the format. You know, um, there's one, Sermones Raidari, um, is, is just one guy talking. And he talks about pedagogy a lot. And I, I you know, personally really dig those kinds of conversations. And then there are other people doing things more at the novice level in a, in a much more structured way. And um, I think no matter where you go, I think there's a lot of room in the format um, for people to do different things to reach different audience needs. Ours happens to be, you know, a very lighthearted conversational model that, that I really like. Um, but I think we're, we want to continue to foster that sort of community. Justin was in Naples recently and at a, at a Latin conference, and there were a bunch of other Latin podcasters there. So they got together and they recorded a long episode um, and released we released pieces of it on everybody's different different channels different uh, different podcasts um, and so you know continuing to develop that community and giving people the confidence to to do what we talked about to just start you know do now figure out the details later because um, I think people people think about podcasts maybe if they've never done one themselves as this huge enterprise and I think that to a certain extent that's what it was for for me and Justin um, until Gus came along and said no we're just going to do this thing now um, which is what we did and so I think just as with where your keys where the learners play just as an important a role in teaching one another I think lots of people out there have the potential to really put something into the world of Latin media and continuing to create Latin content. And we want to continue to foster that and give them the confidence and, and the tools to just say, just get, you've got an idea, just do it. And, and we'll give you a little help along the way. Well, that's a great to, I don't know, just to reiterate over and over again. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Um, every week we have a technique of the week. Mm -hmm. I usually spring these on Evan and Susanna. Yeah, right. I won't do that to you. Okay. I just want to ask you, like, what is your favorite technique or what is a technique that you think a lot about? I think um, it might be, I mentioned it earlier, the plus delta. Because I think that is, it's, it's one of the most revolutionary ideas for people, you know, a technique like slow down, I mean, is, is essential. I'm from the East coast. I can talk very quickly, you know, mm -hmm. and I need to be told to slow down a bit, but I think, um, something like plus Delta cuts through something. It's not about the grammar or the vocabulary of the language. It's about the human piece of the language learning experience and telling the learner you're just as important. You have just as much to offer this interaction, this learning experience as I, the teacher, do. It's, you know, when I talk to teachers, I say all the time, 
if you are practicing a new activity, if you are going to do something in your class that you've never done before, talk to your students about it afterwards. Listen to what they have to say. It's going to make you a better teacher. I mean, there's no better judge of your teaching than the people that you are teaching. So, so I think it's, it's got to be the plus delta. I think it's a, it's a nice structured way to encourage students to provide feedback who haven't been given that opportunity before and to help open teachers up to that same idea of making it a more participatory experience. Oh, yeah, I, I love the way that you put that, that there's no better judge of your teaching than the people that you're teaching. No. It's so important to remember. Yeah. Thank you, Jason, so much for um, talking with me tonight, um, for sharing your story, sharing your thoughts on language and everything. Do you have uh, any uh, social media you want to plug for Salvi, for your Instagram, for your Twitter, anything like that? Yeah, um, you can find the podcast on com or com as we say on the podcast. Um, and then uh, Salvi is at latin.org. Um, and you can find out about all the myriad uh, programs we're doing that seem to be growing almost weekly sometimes um, uh, and check that out and then uh, you know through there you can you can find all our links to Facebook and Twitter and everything like that great thank you so much um, you can find where are your keys at playwake and we're on Twitter but I forgot what's our handles are Susanna usually handles that um it'll be in the show notes it'll be in the show notes yeah thank you thank you it's been my pleasure